We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Enough time, I believe, to field some questions. I think all of my critics have screamed themselves out of the auditorium, so I, I have to say this just in case. If anybody does disagree with me, there is a rule at the Daily Wire that you can cut to the front of the line. I am strongly opposed to this rule. I believe if you disagree with me, you should be shipped off to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> rules are the rules, and I, I don't change them. So, let's begin. Thank you very much. This will be the start of our Q&A session. Uh, if you have a question, you can stand back there by my colleagues. Uh, keep your questions short and brief. Uh, you can only ask one question. This will be the first question. Hi, Michael Knowles. I love your show and thank you for coming to speak here. Um, I have a question. Um, I have a lot of friends who have fallen prey to the sexual revolution and it's really made their lives truly miserable. And they are stuck in a cycle with abusive guy after abusive guy after abusive guy and they actually don't really enjoy it, but they let these guys sleep with them. How do I get them out? Really good question. We've all fallen prey to this sort of thing. Maybe not. Maybe you're more virtuous than I was. I was a derelict atheist for 10 years. I had all the wrong ideas. And, and so I, I really empathize with the people who fall into this kind of thing. One way that you might be able to reach your friend after your friend has some one-night stand or some brief hookup with some jerk of a guy is after about the hundredth time that that happens, maybe ask your friend, hey, what is this accomplishing? <laughs> what are you getting out of this? Have you perhaps gotten sexhausted yet? <laughs> Do you ever wake up in the morning and look over and say, well, I did that physical thing again last night. Well, I satisfied my animal urges, and now my life is in no way better and in pretty significant ways worse. Maybe I ought to change my behavior. But one way you might be able to, to drive this point home is to point out a fact of human nature that many people are not taught today, which is that we have two wills. Mankind has two wills, and this can be very confusing. A good example would be that I want to eat another cookie out of the cookie jar, but I don't want to feel sick and get fat and not fit into my soup. I simultaneously want both of those things, but those two things are at odds. Well, how did you make sense of that? It's because my appetite desires the cookie, but my rational will that is conscious and aware of the things that I ought to do, that rational will tells me it's a bad idea. And traditionally understood, the rational will mediates between the appetite, the lower will, and the divine will. So you, you might point this out to them. Say, you know, you've got these two wills. One of them feeds your purely animal desires, your, your fleshy desires. The other will is higher and more conscious, and you, everybody knows that that is the will that, that we ought to be listening to. Just try for a week or two following that will. It's, it's seven days. 
See how you feel at the end of those seven days. And one of two things will happen. Either your friend will accomplish this and feel a lot better and be disabused of her wrong ideas, or she will quickly find out that she can't make it seven days. She will find out that she is so addicted to the, the desires of her flesh. And that, I think, should spook her as well. Either way, though, I think it will give a bit of clarity. And, uh, and then in a process that will probably take longer than seven days, she can get back on the right path. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Knowles, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, I was actually, being at a leading research university, I was hoping to be enlightened on transgenderism, but I heard you speak. Couldn't, I couldn't tell where you were between feminism and transgenderism. Well, the topic so, of this speech was feminism, so if you came here expecting a transgenderism talk, well, you, you uh, may fall in pretty false advertising. Yeah, but well, you all actually all did. Of the just ask the question. All of the posters I saw everywhere. Thank said you, I'm going to ask the question. Uh, well, I'll finish my statement. All okay. of the posters you saw everywhere said that this was a talk on feminism. So I obviously included transgenderism because that's been a consequence of feminism, but it wasn't the subject of the talk. Hmm. Okay, so go ahead. Uh, Mr. Knowles, you argue that gender is solely determined by biological sex, which you... I've never argued that. Hmm? I've never argued that. Well, uh, it's in your talks everywhere. Uh, what did I, yeah, I, sure, what, what did I say? What did I, well, you, so you I'll just skip. said that I said something, so what, what is the quote? I'll skip that. Um, well, well then, then you can't make the claim that I have said that gender okay, is Okay, you're right, you're right. I do apologize okay. for that. What's um, your next question? So, uh, so uh, basically, your it's... That can say, but sure. Uh, however, we know that research shows that um, most of the genes responsible for outward physical appearances, including those commonly associated with gender, are actually contained on autosomal chromosomes. In light of this evidence, how do you respond to the argument that biological sex is not the only factor that determines gender identity and that gender is a complex interplay between genetics, environment, and psychological factors? It's a good question, and I agree. Biology is not the only thing that determines gender. So, uh, you know, I think you're asking me to to defend a position that I don't hold. I know that there. I, I could understand why you might have been confused and thought that I would hold that view because I am a conservative, and conservatives typically espouse that point of view. But that is very much not my point of view. Uh, I am not of the opinion that uh, sex is biological. Sex is all that matters, and. Uh, gender expression does not matter. Quite the opposite. I think that man is not a purely biological or physical being. I think that man is a hylomorphic being, a, a combination of body, soul, and spirit. And I think that the body is a symbol of our soul, that the soul is the substantial form of the body. Now, the transgender argument, when it is made in the very best way it can possibly be made, I think uses this kind of language. That gender expression or gender identity is really just a modern term to refer to the soul, the immaterial metaphysical soul. Now the problem with transgenderism is it suggests that the soul and the body can be in opposition to one another, which is not true. The soul and the body are united. Here on earth they're inextricable because, as I mentioned, the soul is the form of the body. And so I totally grant that gender expression is extraordinarily complex. I totally grant, by the way, that, that some men are more effeminate and some women are more butch. You know, not every guy can be a big, macho man like I am, okay? I totally, <laughs> why are you laughing? But I totally, I totally grant that. Uh, but, but whereas the transgenderists would say, if there is a conflict between your biological sex and your preferred gender expression or your own self-conception, that therefore you ought to chop up your body and mutilate your genitals and sterilize yourself perhaps, or dress up like the opposite sex, 
Uh, I think it's quite the opposite. I think when you feel some kind of conflict between your biological sex and your perception of gender identity, that it is your obligation to bring your perception of gender identity more into a line with reality. I think that, that we don't have the right to a fiction and to the delusion that a man can be a woman and a woman can, can become a man. I think that if you're a man, to quote Don Corleone, you gotta act like a man. <laughs> when you're a woman, you have to act like a woman. There's a great range of diversity in all of that, but, but uh, uh, the, the complexity of human nature is, is uh, not a license to a, a preposterous sort of Gnostic dualism that says that my true self is immaterial, my body has nothing to do with who I am, and I ought to chop up my genitals to assuage a spiritual confusion or mental illness. Hello. Um, I wanted to ask you when you had mentioned those screaming banshees as well as these sexually confused people and they were lying and I think they knew what they were doing. Do you intend to further bot, to further create the bias that reduces people's ability to collaborate with others through the use of, through your use of collective umbrella terms like us and opposition of them and why do you continue to promote that division? Well, I, because those are my pronouns, and I would ask you to affirm and respect my pronouns. <laughs> the way that we speak in the first person plural is with the, the words we and us, and the way that we speak in the third person plural are they and them. And uh, now, unfortunately, some people in the first person, I'm sorry, in the third person singular use they and them too, like the demons in the gospels who say, my name is Legion for we are many, but that's a point for another time. The, you, you mentioned that I uh, called some of those screaming people banshees. I assumed that's how they were identifying. They were expressing their nature in that way, and so I, I wanted to be as respectful as I could. But, but you got a little bit confused when I said they were lying, because the they that I was referring to was uh, the day that I was referring groups to. Of people. I am referring to groups me. of people when you say they. I wasn't specifically referring to any pronouns. I you know, you, but I, I, talking about but how perhaps, you perhaps create different are, are groups really, of people that don't even exist because it no, erases no, the, individuality. The, 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 the group of people that I, that I was referring to when I said they lied was the newspaper editors. And those people, I sort of wish that newspaper editors were out of a job, but unfortunately they do exist in their jobs, and they lied about me and defamed me. So I, I think if people are going to uh, engage in, in public life at all, uh, we have to be able to identify them. And so if we uh, don't refer to them by their names or their pronouns or their descriptors, I don't know what you'd like us to do. I think perhaps you're just suggesting we fall silent and shut up, which is what the left has been telling us to do. It's why so many people desperately tried to shut down this speech tonight because I think they're afraid of hearing very simple truths that everybody on earth understood until approximately five minutes ago. And, and now they're terribly, they're terribly offended by them. They can't refute them, so they have to shut us up. And I'm not going to shut up. I will not shut up. We will not shut up. Next question. Good evening, Mr. Knox. Good evening. So, uh, you know, I listened to the entirety of your speech. Well done. Thank you. Um, however, there was something that piqued my interest. I won't be touching on transgenderism, just feminism. 
Um, one thing that you stated was you talked about how feminism ruins women, right? Um, it makes them miserable. The, right, it makes them miserable, yeah. things like that, right? Um, however, throughout the entire speech, one thing that, this is a two-part question if you don't mind, um, you didn't touch base on what feminism is. You actually never defined it. Now, on top of that, one other thing that you stated was that, you know, women didn't have to worry as much. Feminists brought up these worries to women. And, you know, as a man, right, who thinks for, I'm in college, so that's kind of what we do, uh, continuously on and end, I'm pretty miserable. So are all college students. All right, so, I had a great time in college. <laughs> Uh, ITM, CompSec, different story. Uh, but when it comes to the logic of thinking, logically, the more you think, the more miserable you are. Only because I don't think you, that's true. Well, well, the more problems arise in one's life. No, no, the more solutions arise. The, the more sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So I don't, I don't accept that premise, but please go on. Right. So even with that logic being said, right, the only way, or at least alleviating, is women were happy when they thought, quote-unquote, less, right? When they didn't have those problems that were brought up by feminists. Then those problems were brought up. So my question is, what would be your solution to, let's say, I, I guess it's a two-part question, two question. What is feminism, in, in your yeah. definition, and what would be the solution to, you know, I guess, solving this, this problem? Feminism is the idea that, to quote Gloria Steinem, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Feminism is the idea that men and women are identical and indiscernible for all practical purposes rather than complementary, which was the traditional understanding of sexual difference. Uh, so I, I have to reject a couple of your premises. One, that uh, college students work hard and study. That was never my experience. Two, that college is an unpleasant experience. I found it to be very fun. And uh, three, that women were these ignorant, docile, uneducated creatures, unintelligent and, and basically worthless before feminism. I, I, I think that's so absurd. It's obviously very offensive, but it just isn't true. I think women were much better educated before feminism. You think of one of the great, great leaders in American politics of the 20th century, was Phyllis Schlafly, an extraordinarily educated woman. She single-handedly shut down the feminist Equal Rights Amendment. Without Phyllis Schlafly, that amendment would have been ratified, without any question. Phyllis Schlafly was a mother of six, happily married, deeply religious, a housewife, to use what's now become a pejorative term, one of the most influential uh, political figures in, in 20th century American life. Uh, I think women understood the world a lot better before feminism. I think women were obviously much happier before feminism. I think women understood the, the relationship between men and women and their own nature much better before feminism. So uh, now you, you had this premise, which is that the more you think, the more miserable you become. So you would suggest that feminism made women think. I don't think feminism made women think. I think feminism filled women's and men's heads with a bunch of lies, a bunch of gobbledygook that they got from the new left and the, the 20th century Western Marxists and all that consciousness-raising babble, and, and it, filled, it turned their heads to soup, unfortunately. Uh, but, but even if it were the case that women became m more knowledgeable and intelligent and thought more, I don't think that thinking more makes you miserable. In fact, I've only become happier in my own life. I know the plural of anecdote is not supposed to be data, but I think statistics is bunk anyway. And I can tell you, I've, I've only gotten happier in my own life the more I have thought, the more deeply I have explored my beliefs, the more I have learned, the more I have read, the more I have lived. And so maybe for some people, the more that they think and the more that they live, the angrier and more miserable that, that 
they become. But perhaps that has more to do with what they are reading and how they are living than, than with knowledge and education itself. You know, education is about an upbringing. It's about a lot more than just uh, putting books into your own head. And it is my experience that when your education uh, turns your mind more into accord with reality and turns your perception and your imagination up to higher things, then you will be happier. And if your education is a maleducation, and if you're taught a bunch of nonsense, uh, and your head is filled with lies, then you're going to be very, very malcontent, and, and you're going to get angrier and angrier. Uh, the question is what kind of, if you're getting less and less happy the more you learn, what kind of education are you getting? Uh, ju just, just to clarify, and no, I, I think you misunderstood what I was saying. Hmm. I, I never, I never had said, or I hope I didn't mention, or kind of hint to the fact that women were unintelligent, because that's definitely not. You're saying they got more intelligent, or at least more educated, more, after more, more aware of their pro of, of social problems. So, as an example, feminism fights for women equality. That, that, that's that's the main front running. That's what they pretend. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Message. Yeah. Uh, now, now, now they bring forward, for instance, one thing that feminism, at least, you know, solved, I, I, I like to believe that it did, oh, pardon me, that it did, was the right to vote, right? Um, before feminism, that wasn't the thing. Feminism allowed them, uh, in, in that way, awoke the problem that women are not allowed to vote, they fought for their right to vote. Is that a negative or is that a positive? That, do, that doesn't mean that women were unintelligent. No, it just made them more aware of that problem. Well, you're, I mean, you're referring to an earlier feminist era than what was covered here, but I'm happy to address it. The, the question about the ratification of the 19th Amendment, when, when you're talking about it within the context of the other progressive amendments as well, is that, I actually mentioned this on the Whatever podcast the other day, I was, uh, it was the most Zoomer I've ever felt in my life. The, the strange question about the 19th Amendment was not how did it get passed or why hadn't it been passed sooner, the strangest question is, why were there so many women opposed to it? And there, there were many women opposed to it. The reason they were opposed to it is because they felt that, uh, that it represented not just a transformation in the way that women were viewed by society, but in how the society was viewed uh, down to its fundamental unit, that prior to the ratification of the 19th Amendment, the family just about was considered the fundamental unit. There were women who were voting before the 19th Amendment, but it was in different circumstances. And that after the ratification of the 19th Amendment, the individual became the, the basis for the, uh, the fundamental unit of society. Now, this would not be an argument to repeal the 19th Amendment or anything like that, because in fact, even if, if people wanted to go back to that bygone era, if you were to repeal such a thing and give one vote per household, the single women would outnumber the married women, which would mean that Democrats would exclusively get elected all the time, and, and conservatives would be giving up half of their votes, just about. But, but even on something like that, which is so much more radical, would you say that the women who, who opposed, even, even the 19th Amendment, that they were just big dummies, they didn't have any thoughts in their heads, they were just doing what their husbands told them to do? No, you wouldn't say that. No, not at all. Of course not. And so I think the same principle applies to the more familiar and recent wave of feminism, the second wave in the 1970s, that the way that that is portrayed in culture, and I think was uh, at, at the heart of your premise, uh, is that women simply became more knowledgeable. They called it consciousness raising, but either way, that they were just aware of more things. And I don't think that's true at all. I don't think any of those women could hold a candle to Phyllis Schlafly in a debate. In fact, I know they couldn't hold a candle to Phyllis Schlafly because she beat them all in debates. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, history is written by the winners and 
The propaganda of that period in the 1970s was written by the second wave feminists, but it does not reflect the truth. So, for just clarification, you're for, we, unfortunately, you're for the first against the second. I'm, uh, I'm against feminism in general. Oh, in general. Because you asked for a definition. Feminism posits that uh, men and women are essentially indiscernible and identical and not complementary, and I, I hold that the sexes are complementary with one another, and I, I hold that feminism has really degraded women. I think women are So during your speech, you sort of made a statement that so-called gender ideologues were weaponizing the courts, and it's because they couldn't get the average person to agree with them. Yep. Now, if you look at conservative media, you'll find that there's several key court cases, such as the contestant to um, the uh, to the uh, school debt ban by Joe Biden. Uh, we see then. Uh, well, right, Joe, John Joe, Joe Biden. Well, just, to, just on your point, just clarify your point. Joe, Joe Biden said that through an executive order, he could cancel student debt in America, which is obviously illegal, and so there's a constitutional challenge to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, and so it seems as though, like, if we look at both sides, there is heavy use of the courts to get what we want. Um, <laughs> no, you misunderstand. So, wait, I do not misunderstand. I know exactly what you said. Anyway, no, so no, I, I, I you misunderstand. You misunderstand in those two uses of the court, because in one, you're saying conservatives sometimes bring legal challenges up in court. Yes, that's true. People bring all sorts of legal challenges up in court. When I say they use the courts, I don't mean that they bring suit. I mean that liberal judges on the courts rewrite the law. For instance, you, you see this time and time again uh, in, in recent years on these sexual issues. You might love condoms. You, you might think that birth control and co contraception are wonderful things. But does anybody seriously believe that America was just operating in ignorance from the ratification of the Constitution until 1965? They just didn't realize that James Madison had enshrined a right to condoms in the Constitution. And thank goodness we had those liberal jurists on the court to find that there in between the penumbras and the emanations in the invisible ink that found that in the Griswold case, there was a right, but only for married couples to use condoms. And then seven years later, those judges, I guess they must have missed something in that case, because they found seven years later in Eisenstadt that there was actually a right to condoms for unmarried couples as well. Good thing they revisited that, but that's that. Until 2003, when they found in the Constitution a right to fornication. Not sure where that one was, but anyway, good. It only took us 200 years to figure that one out. And then in, what was it, 2015? I'm getting the date off probably a little bit. Uh, though it might have been 2015, uh, the, the courts figured out that actually Madison and all the framers of the Constitution, they had radically redefined marriage in a way that no one had ever suggested in all of human history. They did that there at that Constitutional Convention, and it actually took until 2015 for good old Justice Kennedy, writing a romantic poet from the bench, this, this poet sitting there to say that marriage actually is not a union between a man and a woman, but could also be a, uh, a union between two men or two women. That's very, very different than conservatives bring a suit in court. All right, so um, perhaps then we would then say to the second amendment that various legal challenges, these have went through the, the court of public opinion into the political system. Why would we not, why would we not conclude that you having to use the courts in the same way these gender ideologues have done would be illegitimate. Why, why do I not conclude malice on your part? How do we defend this in a way that doesn't say it such a, in, in such a like in 
simple terms. Do as I say, not as I do. Well, I, I think I just explained the dis distinction between these uses of the court. But so if, if you're saying, why is it uh, different when Anthony Kennedy writes that there is a constitutional right to intimacy that thereby redefines marriage from what it has always meant to now a union of one man and one woman or two men or two women, but only to for some reason uh, because I say so, versus why does the court continue to uphold the Second Amendment as it has since the founding of the country? You're asking why those two things are different? That is not what I asked. So we found through court precedent right, that specific regulations are allowed. Uh, if you read the specific language of the Constitution, it says a well-regulated militia. The 1982 court case determined that we actually stand as militia. Therefore, we can be well-regulated. Oh, so okay, wait, wait, wait. Give me a second. Let me say. It's very difficult to understand what you're saying, so I'll just try to clarify to try to understand. You're saying why why are there regulations on guns? You've misread the Second Amendment, by the way. That is that is not what I said. The idea of regulated refers to the militia, right? That adjective modifies that noun. Doesn't doesn't say well-regulated guns like I'm going to put a new you know stock in my AR-15 or something. But but there are regulations on guns, and there have been for a long time. So I don't know. So I did not misunderstand. Second, I know exactly what the 1982 court case, uh, the 1980 court case that extends the, the protect Second Amendment to individuals. I know exactly what that's. I did not. Second Amendment. Yeah. So, so not yet. Yeah, no, before, before, before the night. Excuse me. Sure. 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 All right. I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, I'm trying to articulate. You're not letting. But anyway, are you saying that in 1982 the Supreme Court banned private firearm ownership? Okay. So what did you say? So what I said is that before a specific Supreme Court case, the protections were always read in terms of militia and not to individuals. There is a specific Supreme Court case that extends to us that interprets us to also be a militia. So we are actually not going about that. Well, no, but you're not correct. I'm trying to answer. I'm trying to answer your point. A militia is made up of individuals, and in a militia, uh, people often will bring their own firearms to the militia. So the, the militia requires that individuals are armed. Um, so I, I wish I could answer another dozen of your questions, but uh, <laughs> I might have to wait for the next two. Hi. Um, so first, my question deals with your notion in this speech, you talk about uh, transgenderism, which you refer to as an ideology, but it's interesting because the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they don't view it as that, um, but... Do, do they not? No, they don't. They, they, they specifically don't say transgenderism, they refer to gender identity disorder, which is the psychopathology... Oh, but I'm not, I'm not talking about gender identity disorder, I'm talking about transgenderism, which is an ideology. I'm, I'm not going to, that's not my question, so I'm not going to get into that. I just but, wanted to correct your premise. But it's, but for gender affirming care is what you would uh, encompass in transgenderism, but gender affirming care is also towards the truth. Gender affirming care is when you tell a confused boy that he's really a boy, not a girl. Gender denying care is what the ideologues are pushing forward now, which tells sexually confused boys that they need to chop off their genitals. That's a big difference, though. That means the opposite of the, of the phrase that you're using. Anyways, the question that I had was that you paint transgenderism as this consequence of feminism. Um, first off, not, not like an actual question, would you consider like drag queens a consequence of 
Transgenderism. No, no, drag queens, transvestitism, all these kind of odd eccentricities have existed throughout all of human history, of course. There's no question about that. The ideology that a man really can become a woman and a woman really can become a man and that men who identify as women are entitled to the public rights that women are entitled to, that is very different than a man in a back alley dressing up as, as a woman for, for uh, the giggles of, of patrons at a seedy bar or something like that. And, and that's, you know, the fact that some eccentric people put on weird sort of performances, uh, that doesn't threaten to destroy all of society, but the denial of sexual reality and the obliteration of women's private spaces and rights, that, that does threaten to, to upend our entire culture. I'm a black conservative, which is kind of a taboo in today's political climate. <laughs> so my question is, in the black community, we have an abnormally high fatherless rate in comparison to other races, and the traditional nuclear family is essentially broken in majority of black households. So my question was, how would you advise a person like me who doesn't have the platform like yourself to go about opening up more people's eyes in my community about the harmful, the harmful implications of adopting, and not only adopting, but promoting the third wave feminism ideology that encourage girls to be more masculine while simultaneously encouraging the demasculinization of men. Well, I probably wouldn't do it because I don't have any particular ethos that would allow me to speak particularly to black people. Uh, you would have more of that. My friend Candace Owens has done a great job uh, on that sort of thing. The hate that that woman gets, I, it's like I am in, in engaging in a school play compared to the kind of hate that that poor woman gets for violating one of these rules, which is that if you're black, you're not allowed to be conservative. So how do you do it? How, how would I recommend you specifically to, to speak to black people about this? I would, I would look at history, I think that's very important, and just look at the trend lines and say, hold on, how come this fatherless problem started? How, how, how come it keeps getting so worse, uh, so much worse? How, how does that problem relate to other problems? Uh, rates of crime, uh, uh, scarcity of employment or good employment, or all the rest of that. You know, it, this isn't just one issue among many. These issues tend to relate all to one another. And then what I would recommend is using the government, and I would recommend lobbying your elected officials to change the law, because we like to say that politics is downstream of culture, to a large degree that's true, so you can hold a lot of spaghetti dinners and say, hey, black men, you need to get married and raise your children. You, you, you can do that, maybe it'll be effective. I'm sure you're a very persuasive and intelligent person, but, but the law is also a teacher, and culture can also be downstream of politics. And so if the law right now incentivizes divorce or makes it very, very easy, if the law right now encourages fatherless homes, if the law right now does not punish adultery and uh, no-fault divorce and skipping out on, on childcare payments and all the rest, uh, if, if the law is, is not encouraging the, the right things, it's going to be encouraging the wrong things. And for a long time, conservatives have been so afraid of wielding state power at all they say, well, that sounds like big government. Yeah, well, no, it's just 
proper government. You know, uh, there's no such thing as small government in a country of 300 million people. There is limited government. You want the government to be within its proper limits, but not destroying the family is certainly within the proper limits of government and encouraging the family to grow and grow stronger. That is certainly within the, the proper limits of government. And so I, I would make that point too, and I'd call your representatives and say, hey, this problem is affecting everybody in America, but it's especially affecting black people. And if you don't pass laws to encourage the formation of the black family, you are, you are consigning us to a very, very difficult road that is really harming people's lives and harming my community in particular, and it's gotta stop. That's what I would do. Final question. Final, I want to take a hundred more. I don't have anything to do. The cigar bars are closing in Buffalo, so I'm not getting nothing else all night. Okay. Hi, Michael. It's a pleasure to meet you. So my question is, why do you think that transgenderism should be eradicated from public life, but you don't think that Catholicism should be eradicated from public, from public life, even though the Catholic Church has been the source of a lot of molestation scandals over the years? Well, there certainly has been a sexual scandal within the Catholic Church, that's, that's true. Uh, though meta-analyses of the uh, horrific abuse in the Catholic Church will show that uh, the rates of abuse within the Catholic Church are really no different from in any other religious community. And so there has been a lot of specific uh, talk about the Catholic scandal, but, but that has been to the exclusion of, of other denominations and religious traditions, all of which have the same rate. And furthermore, it's been uh, to the exclusion in the conversation of rates of sexual abuse in the public schools, which are almost double the rates of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. So I, f I find the question to be very silly and to uh, speak to a particular, uh, a particular bigotry toward Catholicism. Uh, but, but let's take that as it is. Why should we eradicate transgenderism from public life? but not eradicate Catholicism or Christianity more broadly because transgenderism is false <laughs> and religion is true. True religion is true. That's why. And it's what has animated our civilization for now about 2,000 years. So one, even if you really hate Christianity, you probably want to be a little bit careful about eradicating that from public life. Furthermore, uh, Christianity does not put forward a false anthropology that denies the reality of human nature. Furthermore, Christianity does not tell women that they're not allowed to have their own bathrooms and they've got to get changed next to Husky Hank, even if it's in the ladies' locker room. You know, so you, you judge the tree by its fruits, and the fruits of transgenderism are a, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of suicidality, and, and a, a manifest absurdity that all of us know, it's just many people are afraid to, to say it, because if you dare question this brand new uh, political phenomenon, you'll be smeared in some of the biggest newspapers in the country as a genocidal maniac, and, and you'll receive all sorts of threats. Uh, but, but we have to say it because it's true, and because there's a difference between truth and falsehood. And if you can't discern between truth and falsehood, if you really think everything's just about the same, and who, who am I to tell the difference? Well, then what you're saying is you're not capable of self-government. And uh, if you're not capable of self-government, <laughs> maybe that's the case. John Adams said the Constitution is only built for a moral and religious people. But, uh, but if that is the case, then I guess we could just have to wrap up the whole American project. 
I don't think we can. I think we can still tell the difference between truth and falsehood, and right and wrong, and good and bad. And I think we can say it even when these, these people want to attack us for it, even when these people want to shut us down and silence us and tell us we don't have the right to govern our own country. I think we do have the right to govern our own country. We can tell what's good and true and beautiful, and we can stand up for it. If we stand up for that, not one of these people can stand against us. Thank you so much. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.